You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org. Well, again, friends, it's a joy to be with you on this fourth Sunday of Lent. Somehow it is already the fourth Sunday as we travel through together. And if you're guests with us this morning, we have been, as a community, synced up with the lectionary readings here in 2022. The lectionary is a three-year cycle of readings taken from the Old and the New Testaments. And from time to time, church communities will sync up with these readings and, and the, the worshiping life of their church will kind of be framed by them. So the, the, the text that Brooke read during opening worship were two of those four readings, and our, our, our sermon this morning is based on the third of those four readings, and it's from the gospel. And year three of the lectionary has a focus on Luke's gospel, which is the third of the four gospel accounts. And this morning... We're going to be looking at one of Jesus' parables, and one of the, the more widely known of Jesus' parables. If you grew up in the church or grew up around Christianity, you may be familiar with it as I begin to read it. But friends, without any more introduction, I invite you as you're able to stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture and for those who are gathered digitally to allow your body to settle into a posture that allows you to center in and to receive the words of Holy Scripture. From Luke chapter 15, Luke writes, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they were grumbling and they were saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The the younger of the sons said to the father, Father, give me the share, my share of the property that belongs to me. So the father divided the property between them. A few days later, the the younger son gathered up all that he had and he traveled to a distant country and there he squandered his property on dissolute living. When the son had spent everything, a severe famine took place in that land throughout the country and the son began to be in need. So, So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, yet no one gave him anything. But then he came to himself. And he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I'm gonna get up and go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off. He went to his father. But while he was still far off, his his father saw him and filled with compassion, ran, put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf. Kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and he heard dancing, and he called one of the slaves over and he asked, what's going on? The slave replied, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then the elder son became angry and refused to go in. So the father came out and began to plead with him. But the elder son answered his father, listen, for all of these years I have been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command. But you've never even given me a goat so that I could have a party with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, the one who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me. Everything that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and to rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, I ask that these words that I have prepared might become your word for your people in this time. God, may you speak through them and where necessary in spite of me. And as I preach, God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of all of our hearts would indeed be found good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, a rock, God, a redeemer, God, our savior. All of this we pray in the strong name of Jesus, the Christ, our Lord. And everyone said, amen. Well, friends, you may be seated. If you've ever had the feeling of being written off, then you know it's not necessarily the best of all feelings to experience. And if you've ever written someone else off, for whatever reason, you know that it's also not really a, a very enjoyable experience to do that to another human being. Because regardless of whether you're written off or you're writing somebody else off for whatever reason, it kind of objectifies the person being written off. Whatever they were supposed to be or to do or whatever role they were supposed to fill and they no longer do that or, or never did that for you, you've now kind of decided to move on, to cut your losses, to look in other places. To write off or to be written off is actually a really painful experience. And in our text this morning, interestingly, we kind of see it happening in multiple different directions and multiple different ways. And it begins with this younger son in this culture, this time, first century Judaism, where this younger son goes to the father 
and does be akin to writing the father and, and by extension the entire family off when he asked the father for his inheritance early. That would be basically like going up to your father and saying, you know, I really wish you're dead, but since your ticker's still ticking, could I just have my part of the inheritance now because I'm really tired of waiting around for this? Like what a deep, painful insult, right? to the father in the story, for the son to essentially say, it would really be helpful if you weren't still around because I would prefer to have my portion of the money today. And, and, and what would have shocked the, the, the hearers in Jesus' crowd, he has the father do what the son says. You know, normally the father would definitely not so graciously reward such a disrespectful action by actually giving what was asked. But this father does. This father gives the son what, what he has asked for. And then we're told that the son goes about packing up his things and he takes off. And I guess in my mind, it's like to the proverbial, whatever the first century version of Las Vegas would have been, right? Fast cars, gambling, drugs, booze, women, I don't know. But that's sort of the picture that's painted, the first century equivalent to heading out with this giant sack of money to party. And he does. And he parties hard and he parties quick and we're told that then this really for the son, this really untimely thing happens and the economy, the bottom drops out in the form of a famine and there's not enough food where he's at. And he's out of money, he's not eating, so he, he does this, this fascinating thing. He goes to work for, for a wealthy local landowner of some type but the kind of work the son does is meant to be sort of funny and ironic because he becomes essentially a pig farmer and he's Jewish and pigs are unclean. You're not even supposed to go near them, right? So this, this, this boy who is the son of a wealthy family takes all of this cash out to Vegas, blows it all, and now he's feeding pigs. But but not just feeding pigs, he's, he's literally starving while he does it to the point that he looks at what he's feeding the pigs and it looks remotely appetizing to him. And I don't know if this is because he was being watched or because he had some like little shred of moral decency left in him, but we're told that he doesn't eat the pig's food. I don't know, I just think it's a weird detail, but he doesn't actually eat the pig's food. He thinks to himself, Look at me, what have I done? Like, I'm, I'm here in some land, I don't even know the language, out of money, I'm out of food, and I'm feeding the, the, the forbidden animals, swine, impure pork. I should go home and throw myself at the feet of my father and tell my father, I'm no longer worthy. I understand that I have, I have written my family off. I'm coming back just as a poor beggar who needs a job. 
Can I be one of your hired hands and work in your field and at least not have to feed pigs? So he does, right? This penniless, this penniless boy. He somehow has the energy to travel home. And the most remarkable thing happens yet, the most unpredictable moment in the story unfolds as, as he reaches the, the distant drive, I guess, to the family's estate. We're told that the father sees the son from way off. And what does the father do? He throws off his sandals and he jettisons. He runs full speed to where the son is probably slowly stumbling, walking towards the house. And the father in this, this act of sort of what would have in that culture been like a bizarre, completely out of character for an elder m- movement. Like I'm imagining him like tackling his son with like a huge father bear hug. Elders in, in that society and in first century Jewish culture, they didn't run, they didn't jog, they didn't move fast at all. That was for the kids and that was for the young people. Elders were respected. They, they went slowly and at their own pace and they got there when they got there. Some of the elders in the room were like, exactly. Stop rushing me. I'll get there when I get there. But not this dad because he sees his son and without thinking, He runs as hard as he can, he sprints, and he tackles his son at the top of the driveway. He breaks all societal norms yet again. He does a thing that would have been considered shameful, and he does it in a way that it would have been viewable, right, by those out in the the community because he was leaving the house, the, the compound, and going out into the exposed exterior part of the drive. This is visible from those, from the neighbor's point of view, for those passing by. The father's making himself the proverbial fool in this story. Not once, but so far twice, out of love for his son. And why does he do this? Do this for the one who wrote himself and his family off so that he could go out and kind of engage in the most selfish of endeavors, you know, head to Vegas. He's now back. He's come back, starving, but he's alive. Why does the father do this? Before the boy's even said a word, remember the boy had the prepared speech, but the father hasn't even let him get any words out yet. He immediately begins to to bring about the plans of what comes next. He commands the servants to, to go get the best robe and to get a ring for his finger, to get sandals for his feet. And then at some point in between all of this, the son gets his little speech in, right? Father, I'm no longer even worthy to be your child. Can I just be one of your hired hands? And one of my favorite parts about the way that Luke and, you know, recounts this parable is that the father literally doesn't reply at all. 
It's like, doesn't even respond to the son's speech, which is pretty awesome. He just says, and go, go kill the fattened calf because we have to throw a party now. And I was thinking about this. Throwing a party seemingly in the middle of the day, right? Because the older brothers wear, anybody remember? He's still out in the field, right? So the, this is a work day. It's the middle of a work day that the son meanders home. And in the middle of the work day, immediately the father commands that the celebration take place. So not only are the neighbors going to realize that there's music and hooting and hollering and some kind of a big party happening over at the estate, they're gonna be like, this is weird. What is happening that they're partying at two in the afternoon? When they find out the reason that they are doing so, yet again, the father will be breaking with what would have been the understood norm, which would have been maybe, maybe let the son do as he had asked to be a hired hand out in the field. But no, the, the father is publicly, loudly proclaiming to any and all who can hear and see that he is welcoming his son back and not only welcoming him back, but doing so with great gravitas and generosity and pomp and circumstance. And potentially hours later, when the older brother finally makes his way back in from the field, like it's, it's obvious that it's loud because the brother can hear it as he's making his way in. And he's sort of, I mean, as any of us would be like, what's, there's, what, what's happened? Why didn't I get an invite? Like, what's going on? Been out here working and there's some kind of a huge party happening that I didn't know about. And as the brother approaches, he gets to one of the slaves and he says, what's happening? And he says, your, your younger brother came back and they're having a welcome home party for him. And we're told that the older brother essentially like loses it. So mad, furious, refuses to go inside to even put eyes on his brother. And it becomes such a thing that the host of the party, the father has to actually come out and find him to talk to him. You know, it's a big deal when dad has to leave the party and go outside and he does. And they have this sort of heart to heart altercation and the older brother says, you've never even given me a goat for like a get together with my buddies. And you just killed the fattened calf at two in the afternoon for this jerk of a ex little brother of mine. He never pulled his weight when he was here and then he left and took all this money and he comes back and this is how you're gonna like, really dad? Do you see what a slap in my face this is? You just left me out in the field. You didn't even ask me to come in. And then the father looks at the elder son and essentially says, Every, everything, everything is yours. It's all yours. Don't worry about that. It's all always been yours. You're gonna get the whole lot of it. But don't let that 
become a stumbling block to my generosity right now to those for whom I want to be generous and those whom I want to forgive. Your, your little brother, he was ostensibly dead and now he's not. How am I not supposed to celebrate this? And that's where the story ends. We don't know what happens next with the older brother. We don't know what ends up happening with the younger son. We don't know all of these relationships that have this tension in them now, right? We don't know how it all works its way out. But what we do know is that Jesus Jesus is relating the father figure in this story to Yahweh, to Israel's God. And Jesus is essentially offering this vision of God to humanity. And the story gets set up right with the scribes and the Pharisees grumbling amongst themselves because Jesus is spending too much time with sinners and tax collectors and he's even eating with them, which is a first century sign of friendship to break bread with another person. And, they're, and they're, they're not happy about it. The Pharisees, who were like the epitome of the rule followers, they were the epitome of the upright citizens, they were the epitome of the ones who externally and visibly, and in the, they, did, they did things right. They did it by the book. They knew the book in and out. And here Jesus is sitting with tax collectors. They're like the flip side. Tax collectors are really, really smart. They know the rules and they know them so well that they know how to manipulate them and to get more out of people than they're actually supposed to get out of them. And oftentimes they do this out of their own, their own relatives, their own Jewish people. So the Pharisees are angry that Jesus is giving too much preference to this group. Jesus tells this story and he leaves us to sit with it. And 2,000 plus years later, he leaves us yet again to sit with it. And I, it's one of these parables that I could come back to over and over and over again and, and you're probably the same because there's just so much happening in it. But it's hard for me not to see this, the younger son and to see the, 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 kind of, the kind of parent that Jesus is trying to depict God as to humanity and to the world because the father could have just said, no, I'm not gonna give you the money. You're being an idiot. Go to your room. <laughs> like, you're asking me to do a thing I don't have to do by the rules, so no. But he does it, he gives him what he asks. And I just think there's this symbolic reality here to the way God works with us in the world. Sometimes we, we get what we want and not what we need. And through that experience, I think God hopes that we will find ourselves in a place or position where maybe our stubbornness and our pride and our ego might get beaten up a little bit so that we might actually find ourselves in a place where we could hit the bottom, hit the rock, and then come back to God with a different frame of reference. 
a frame of reference that this, the son finds himself in. He's like post-humility. He's like so broken that he just like drags himself home. He'll take anything he can get. And it's in that that God meets the son and offers him like a whole new start because now maybe the son's ready for that. And I think sometimes God works with us in this way where we, we hit rock bottom and then God hopes that we return to God because God's never, God's never written us off. It, it always goes humanity to the divine. So God's always waiting and watching and hoping for us to come back. And then the son does. And we're all like the son in this story, but we're all also the older son because there's different times and scenarios and there's times where we see something take place and it kind of frustrates us because we wanted a different, a different outcome. I see this as a parent with my own children and sometimes there's this sense of, of fairness and justice and it's like, but you, you don't know the entirety of the story that went before that to get to that place. God holds all of that and sometimes we're the older sibling though and we are jealous, are angry, are allowing the younger sibling to like ruin our lives, even though the younger sibling is in the party having a blast. <laughs> yeah, you know the older brother's mad. Notice that like, there's never an interaction between the two. He, he's just out there mad. And he never comes out just as father does. God never writes us off. We write one another off way too often, and we write God off. But God is always waiting as a good parent. And I hope that as we leave this place, as we continue this Lenten journey, as we continue to reflect on the depth of the teachings of Jesus, that we can ask ourselves, where are we in this text? Where are we in this parable? Where do we find ourselves today? Who have we written off that the generosity of God is inviting us to re-engage with? The, 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 the Pauline text that Brooke read speaks to this brilliant reconciliation that God seeks between God's self and humanity. And God also seeks it between humanity and humanity. And this text pushes us to ask where we are being the older brother, where we're being the younger brother, and where we're being a parent, and I'll end here because God could lead with fear and some people's God seems to lead their tribe, their religion with fear, like fall in line or else, right? But that's not the way the father in the text leads. He never threatens the son. He never says an angry word. There is a sense that like natural consequences unfold, but, but the father never leads with fear. It's with grace and it's with transformation. It's with a, a sense of love that hopes and is leading both humans in the Father's stead to ultimately change, to become different kinds of people. And I think that's the way God leads us. I think that's the way that we're called to be in relationship with one another, with our children, whether we be at work, whether we be in whatever sphere we find ourselves. May we be a people who lead with love and not with fear.
with the end of transformation for one another. Amen? Amen. Good morning, Eastside. Anybody else dying from this pollen? <clears throat> Yikes. Uh, my name is Brooke Vore, and I'm a member here at Eastside, and I have been asked to lead us in prayers of the people. First, I just wanted to start um, with a, a breath prayer, if you're familiar with that practice. And so if you'd like to just close your eyes and you breathe in God's steadfast love and breathe out weariness and burdens. Breathe in God's steadfast love. Breathe out weariness and burdens. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and at times I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and you're invited to respond with here our prayer. Gracious God, <clears throat> you are a God of hospitality. There is none like you that invites all to come to you. You have invited all to your home, to your table, and to your arms. Lord, would that all hear and receive this good news. Lord, help us to remember that no one is better than anyone in your kingdom and help us to then treat each other the way you treat people. Generous God, because you treat us with your tender love, we take time to pray for our friends, family members, and others who need you more than ever. Pour out your healing on all who need it. Be generous with your transforming love for those who need it in their lives. Bring forth your reconciliation in families and in places where it is needed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Gifting God, you give us the gift of the Spirit to use to further your kingdom and to be the body of Christ in the world. Empower us to continue to be your hands and feet, to continue the work that needs to be done here and in so many other places. God of the refuge of wanderers and exiles, parent of the homeless, you weep with those who are uprooted from their homeland and you suffer with those who exist without shelter and security. Grant that your faithful love may reach out and that your healing mercy rise like the dawn on all who are oppressed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. There is none like you, God, in your love, your generosity, your gifting and your hospitality. And we thank you that you are in our lives, working in us and through us to let people know your kingdom is open to all. In the name of your son who opened the doors for all and broke down barriers that kept people from you, amen. I now invite you into a moment of silent prayer and confession. Hear the good news. Christ died for us when we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. I now invite you to pass the peace, either here or online. Amen. And I just want to 
offer a quick word of thank you to those who were here yesterday for the trustees work day. If you came in off Moreland Avenue, you saw all of that beautiful fresh mulch that has been spread. Um, I know they cleaned out the room behind the sanctuary here and did a, 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 a sundry other things and gave of their Saturday and their time. So thank you to those who were with us yesterday to help beautify and to, to get our space to where it needs to be for Easter. Well, friends, may you go now in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our creator, the life-giving fellowship, energy, and sustaining presence of the spirit today and throughout your week. And may you, may you come back next week to once again be filled up by the divine so that we may continue to participate in God's work in this world. Amen. For those of you who would like to speak with me, if you have questions about um, my transition that will be coming this summer, uh, I'll be with Emily, our head of SPR, and we'll be down in the chapel. So you can go through this exit, just go by the coffee bar and you'll find us down that way if you have any questions about all things related to transitions and pastoral ministry in the Methodist itinerant system. With that, friends, I invite you to go in peace. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to connecting with you soon. If you'd like to experience our full church services, you can find them at youtube.com slash eastsidechurchatl. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Eastside, you can find our giving portal at our website, eastsideatl.org. Be well.